So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can either click to or turn to. I, I do both. Uh, you can either click to or turn to to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is where, where we're going to be this morning. And I'm, I'm just going to preach a special message uh, entitled, I, I Love My Church. Now, some of you may say, well, of course you do. You're, you're like the pastor. You're pay, paid to say stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, and that, that may be true, but I, I will tell you this, that, that we loved the local church before I was ever in ministry. Many of you know my story. Um, in, the 20s, I, in my 20s, I met Christ. Six months uh, later, Karen, my wife, uh, met Christ. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and from that point on, we have just fallen in love with the local church. We, we've been a part of the local church. I wasn't in ministry at the time. And so we have served the local church. We've been a part of the local church. And we have just fallen in love. And we fall deeper and deeper in love with the local church. And so and that, that led me into ministry. And that led me, uh, along with three other families, to plant Fellowship of the Rockies. Now listen, we, we live in a time, and, and like we know this, that the Church of Jesus Christ is not really popular with some today. I mean, there's some politicians that don't like the local church, whether they cite separation of church and state, or, or they don't like it that churches don't pay taxes, or, or some of the other things about churches, but, but we know that, right? We know that there's just some politicians that, that don't like the local church. There, there's some people that have been involved in church, and they've been hurt, they got hurt by a church member or hurt by a pastor. They felt like they were wrongly treated. And as a result of that, they had some issues, and they just kind of believed that, you know what, everybody, everybody's just phony in the local church. And, and, and there's some people that don't like the local church because they see the local church as being judgmental, or they see the local church trying to impose their values on society. And I, and I believe there, there's some people that, that, that don't like the local church because they have maybe a, a false impression of, of the local church that maybe they've been influenced by some negative stereotypes, whether it's in, in movies or sitcoms. I, I mean, it probably because I'm a pastor, but it bothers me. It bothers me whenever they depict a Christian or a pastor in sitcoms and movies. They're always like creepy, weird people, Right. I mean, they're just strange people, and so, so may, maybe they've never really been a part of a church, but it's just some negative, negative stereotypes. And, and, but, you know, there, there's people, if we're just honest, there's people outside the church that criticize the local church, and there's people inside the church that criticize the local church. There's people inside the church, just if we're tracking, just if we're honest, they say the church is no longer really effective like it once was, or, or I don't know that I really want to be involved, or all of, all of those other things that are said. And so there's people from within and without that attack the local church. Now listen, with your marriage, you, you, could, you could focus on the 5% that is bad with your marriage, and that would make you miserable and depressed. But the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that we're to think on the things that are lovely and pure and truthful and right and honorable and good and all those other things. So this morning, in the minutes that I have, I would like to talk to you about the positive. I would like to talk to you about the three reasons I love my church, that I love the, the, the local church. And, uh, and I, I've been able to get it down to three. It started out much larger lists, but these are three categories. The first one is this. I love the local church because of the founder. I love the local church because of the founder. The founder is Jesus Christ, in case you're wondering. Uh, but I, I love the local church because of the founder. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. I'm going to read through 18, and then we're just going to use this as our primary text this morning. I'll read a few other verses, but primarily we're just going to be in, in, in this text uh, this morning. 
starting in verse 13, the Bible says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? And so they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And so he said to them, so Jesus pressed in and he says, I, I don't care who your friends say I am. I don't care who your wife or husband says I am. I, I don't care who your pastor says I am. What I want to know, who do you say I am? And so Jesus pressed in and he made it very personal. And so he says, but who do you say I am? And so Simon Peter, this is one time Simon Peter gets it right. And so Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I love the local church because of, because of the founder. I have a watch that is, that is in my, my home office that is displayed. Uh, this watch belonged to my, my great uncle uh, who, who, who I was named after. And I love that watch, not because of its monetary value, but I love that watch because my uncle owned it. My great uncle owned it, who I'm, who, who, who I'm named after. And if, if, you, if you love Jesus Christ, then, then you'll, you'll love the church. And you'll love the local church because it belongs to him. Ephesians 5.25, Paul begins trying to help us understand this relationship that a church is a, a community. Church is a relationship. He, he, relates it, he relates it to marriage. And he relates it to, to like marriage, right? And so, so you know this, right? There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. You know that, right? Okay. You guys are scaring me. You just kind of looked at me like, maybe you're afraid to say yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, either that or I'll just preach on denial. How's that? <laughs> one, of my, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite marriage jokes is about this couple uh, that, that they'd, had, they'd had like this huge fight. And so, you know, like they went to bed and they're angry and they're, you know, they're clinging to their, their side of the bed because, you know, they don't want their heel to touch their partner because if, if it does, you like lose. And so uh, they're like, they're like angry. Some of you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. And so, uh, and so they're angry. And so the husband was going to bed. He went to bed first and he never was able to wake up by an alarm. And so he, he went to the bathroom and took a post-it note and put on his wife's toothbrush. He says, I got to catch an early flight in the morning. Please make sure I'm up at 5 a.m. And he left a note. So he goes on to bed. And so he wakes up the next morning and the sun is coming up and it wakes him up and he looks at the clock. It's like nine o'clock and he's ah, I'm supposed to be up at five. He goes into the bathroom and there is a post-it note on his toothbrush that says 5 a.m. Wake up. So, uh, so, there, so there's no, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And just so we know, there's no such thing as a perfect church, okay? And so the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ did intend to build the local church, a local body, to where he says, I'll build the church and I'll provide for it physically and spiritually and emotionally and financially and all of those other things. And yes, we do live in a time where people uh, trash the local church. They kind of disassociate themselves from, from the local church. You'll hear people say, maybe you've heard it, I've heard it in this community. Our community isn't, isn't uh, 
uh, different from any other community. There where you meet people and they say things like, yes, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in organized religion. Yes, I'm a Christian. I don't go to church. I worship God in the mountains. I, I can feel God. I worship God in, in, in the mountains. And people will say things like that and like they disassociate themselves from the church. But, but when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then what it says is, is you love the church because it belongs to Christ. The church belongs to him and you're involved. I mean, there's a lot of people that would suggest that really our only connection is like the universal church. Where, where everybody just kind of knows Christ. And it's, it's not referring to a local body to where there's budgets and buildings and bureaucracy and boring sermons and, and relationships and all of those other things. There's a book that was written here a while back called The Gospel of, of Starbucks. And so the writer of, of this book said this, says that it is possible at Starbucks that you can, you can develop a, a, a group of friends, you can meet there weekly, you can drink coffee together, you can open up the scriptures, you can read the Bible, and you can have a better fellowship, better relationships than you can in the local church. But Jesus Christ made it very, very clear that, that I, I, Jesus, I will build my church. And when we're a part of, of the church, we're a part of what he's building. When we give to faith, when we give to the, our tithes and offerings, when we serve, then we are, we are joining with him and we are building what he is building. He intended buildings and structures where there was elders that acted as overseers, where there were teachers that edified the body and ministered to people, where, where he provided for us physically and emotionally and spiritually. In the New Testament, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, Do not forsake the gathering, the assembly of believers where there's worship, where there's preaching, teaching the word, where there's communion. I mean, the, the church, listen, the church in the New Testament was visible enough to where when mo one member suffered, all the members suffered. When one strayed, the others prayed for them, worried about them, went and got them and talked to them. The church, listen, the church was not, was never just a few people casually getting together at Starbucks. The church is the very center of the purpose of God. And the Bible knows nothing. Listen, New Testament Christians know nothing of the early church of unchurched Christians. Uh, Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000 souls. And so where did they add them? They, they added them to the, to the local church, where there was ministry, where there was discipleship, where there was worship, where there was communion, where there, there was this relationship, where there's these connections. And, and, and Paul gave a couple of symbols. Actually, he gave three. I'm, I'm going to walk through two of the symbols with you about this, about this issue of, of the local church, because... The, the greatest churches are those churches where, where it is through relationships and through Bible study and through those relationships that they function. And so he, Paul gave us a picture and, and said that, that, that we are the hands and feet of Christ. Uh, that that he is, Christ is the head, he's the head of the church, and that we're the hands and feet of Christ. Ephesians 5.23 says, <coughs> sorry, I, I have a little bit of a cough still. Uh, last night I broke a rule and I preached with a cough drop in my mouth and uh, in point number one I swallowed it in front of God and everybody and uh, it did not go well and so uh, so so anyway verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and himself its savior 
1 Corinthians tells us, in fact is 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we are interdependent members. We are eyes and feet and hands. In other words, listen, in other words, you cannot get this relationship, you cannot get this from technology, and you cannot get this from the universal believers. You get this from the local church. Uh, we know this, what, what God wants to make one, Satan wants to make many. It, it's, it's, it's true in marriage. That God says that he wants to make two one. Guess what? Satan wants to make one two. And he wants you to carry a fence. And he wants you to come to that place to where you're no longer one, but you're just roommates. You're just like two people. God, where, where God wants to make many one, Satan wants to make many. In the church, it, God wants to make us one, unity. And, and Satan wants to make us many. And in relationships, listen, you cannot get relationships that the church offers through technology. Listen, I, I believe in technology. I love technology. I use technology. But i got to be honest with you, and some people can say, especially the younger guys and, and ladies can say, it's, it's because you're old. That there's some things about technology that I absolutely hate. Because we're living in a time and we're living in a culture where people are becoming to believe that you can have real relationships through technology. That you can have, you can have electronic, in other words, electronic relationships are the same thing as face-to-face -face relationships. Guess what? Some of the latest divorce statistics that have come out, one-third of, of, of the divorces that happened, happened last year as a result of Facebook. Because people believe that, guess what, online relationships, electronic relationships are the same thing as face-to-face -face relationships. And I'm telling you, uh, after, the, after the 1230 service, we're headed up to, to a birthday party, a family birthday party for our grandson, Micah. And we're going to be in the room with our kids and, and, uh, and a lot of our kids and, and, and grandkids. And, and, and it always frustrates me when, when we're with them. And, and, and Karen and I are visiting. We're hanging out with grandkids. And then all of a sudden we look around at the couch and, and our adult kids. And, and they're sitting side by side, lined up like pigeons on a, on a, on a couch. <laughs> and they're like this. That fr I hate that. I hate that. So sometimes I just send out a group text, how you doing? And uh, what's going on? Been a long time since I've seen you, and they're playing fantasy football and all those other things. I, I don't understand fantasy football. How can you lose at fantasy football? If that's your fantasy, not a very good fantasy. If I'm going to play fantasy football, I'm winning the Super Bowl. That's my fantasy. And so I hate, listen, listen, because I'm sitting there thinking we may never have this moment ever again. We, ne we may never be in the same room ever again. And there's some people in, this, in, in society and culture that are willing to ignore the relationships in the room for the relationship online. And we are under the, under, we are under the impression that electronic relationships are real, and just I just need to tell you, electronic relationships are not real. They may give you encouragement, they may give you some information and knowledge, but the relationships that matter are the ones that can touch you, cry with you, hold you, laugh with you, pray for you, do life with you. And if that is not in the relationship, it is not a very important relationship. And the Bible says that we as a church, that we're, we're a family. John said in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you're my disciple. If you have love for one another, and we are expressed in the local church, we're expressed the love of God. And we could build the greatest facility in the world, but if we do not express the love of God to one another, who's going to buy into it? Who's going to even think it's real? And you know why we can do what we do here at Fellowship of the Rockies? Because relationships. And you cannot build the local church without relationships where people are committed to one another. There was accountability and there's love and people are doing life together without guilt or judgment where they express the love of God. And, and we'd have to admit in our culture in this time that many, church, many times churches are not known for their relational qualities. They're known for their divisions. No wonder why most churches are melting down. No wonder why some people are pretty skeptical about the local church. Another picture that Apostle Paul gives is he says that, that he is the groom and we are the bride. It's this, it's this relationship. Ephesians 5, 25 and tw- through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. And now normally the groom focuses on the positive traits of the bride, of his bride, and overlooks the the negative traits. And the Bible says Christ is the bride, and he sees the church washed and pure and sanctified. The greatest picture I had, I I believe, that God's ever given me of a local church came many, many years ago. It's kind of an interesting story. Some of you that were here during those times, and especially those that you served, uh, you will never forget this. Uh, that it was, it was right after, just a few, minute, a few moments after we uh, moved into this facility. And I re- received a call from the director of the Wayside Cross Mission in town that said that they had this, this man and this woman that came in. It's, it's, it's a homeless shelter, in case you don't know. And came into their shelter. Uh, the lady was on the lady's side, and he was on the men's side. And, and they, they did really well, and they started learning a trade, and and they started going to all their classes, and both of them found a job. And, and they were getting ready to the place when they were going to gonna move out. And they had they'd fallen in love, and they, they wanted to move out, and they wanted to start a life together. They wanted to get married, this homeless couple. And so he said that her dream was to, to have a wedding in, in the church. And he said, I, I called several churches, but nobody's willing to allow, to use, allow uh, a homeless couple to use their church for a wedding since they weren't members and a lot of other stuff. So he says, I was just wondering, would you, would you be willing? And I says, not only would I be willing, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to host it. If they're going to use our facility, we're going to host it. And we're going to put ministry partners in here, and we're going to serve them, and we're going to make sure that, that they have a wedding that, that, that is honorable. And so uh, the, 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 that Saturday of the wedding, I, I had uh, some meetings here in the office and or in the church, and I came out and I came into the foyer, and we, we had the whole homeless community here. And so I stepped out into the foyer, and there were a lot of homeless people and a lot of dogs. I don't think they were service dogs, uh, but <laughs> they had a lot of dogs. And, and so and, and, and there was an odor. There was an odor. You could tell it was a homeless community. And so I decided I'd just slip in. I wasn't doing the wedding. The director of the homeless shelter was officiating the wedding. It was not me. So I, I slipped in, and I, I jumped up in the sound booth and sat beside Tim Allen, who was running sound. 
And so I'm sitting there waiting for the wedding to start, and I'm hearing all this Elvis music play. And I say, hey, what's up with the, with the, with the wedding music? And he says, oh, you, he says, on the, way, on the way, they stopped at Loaf and Jug and bought one of those 99-cent CDs of Elvis's top 50 hits. And so they told me, just play that. Don't worry about cueing the music. Just play it, start to finish. And when the bride and the groom get hit up here, just kill the music. It doesn't matter. So I said, okay. So he said, okay. I watched the bride come in. And the bride was a wreck. She was, she was emotional. She was crying. It, it just wasn't a pretty picture. And so, uh, and so she took her place. And I am not exaggerating. When she got ready to come down, you know the song that she came down to was Elvis Presley's song, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. <laughs> and I'm thinking, awesome. And people in the congregation begin to laugh, and some, I mean, they're homeless people. They don't know how you act in church. They're making fun. And so, uh, so she's coming down the aisle to you ain't nothing but a hound dog. And it's like the groom is totally unaware because he's staring at his bride. He doesn't see all the imperfections. And so she came up here, and she stood up here, and she was crying, and she was a wreck and stained and tears and everything else and this groom reached over and started wiping the tears from her face and I thought you know what that's Jesus and his church he is the groom and we're the bride and one day the church is going to rise up and he's going to he's, he's going to be totally he will totally ignore the stench and the odor of sin and the stain and the wrinkle and the blemishes and he will Wipe away our tears. That's the church. That's the church. I also love the church because of the people. I love the church because of the people. Some of the greatest people I've met are in church. Now, I admit with you, I've met people in the community that are lost and not Christians that I've liked better than some of the people I've met in church. I'd admit that with you. But I will tell you this, some of the greatest people I have met are in the local church. Matthew 16, verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So let, let's don't make this, this scripture more complicated than it is. Let's just take this scripture for what it is and so that we understand it. Simon Peter was a very flawed man, yet Jesus trusted him with a lot of responsibility. Wouldn't late night talk, talk show host have a field day with Simon Peter of our day? He's like this hypocrite. I mean, one minute he's walking on water, the next minute he's drowning. One day he's saying Jesus is the Messiah, the next day he's, he's rebuking him. One minute he's willing to die with Jesus, and the next minute he's, he's like, I never, I never even knew him. I haven't even met him. But Jesus told Simon Peter that I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. And so what are keys for? Keys are for opening a door, right? And he gave that to Simon Peter, Acts chapter 2. It was Simon Peter who preached a message, and he opened up the door for thousands of Jews to come to Christ and have eternal life and have a relationship with God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was Acts chapter 10, again, that Simon Peter took the keys, and he opened up the door that allowed the Gentiles to come into the church uh, for you and for me to have eternal life and to have a relationship with him. And Simon Peter was this guy that was very far from, from perfect. And yet Jesus loved him and gave him a key role in the early church. 
Now, now church people, listen, church people aren't perfect. But I'm going to tell you what, some of the very best people I have known are in the church. And the church is made up of imperfect people who aspire to, to be like Christ. And I think some people that are so judgmental of church people, even those that are within the church, forget that. And forget that we're all imperfect. And that we're all on this journey. And that we're all in this together. And that this perfect, perfect model results in, in higher values and higher compassion and better attitudes than most people in the world. I've watched people in this church just quietly minister to one another. I've watched people in this church about this time every year where people will contact our church, email our church. Our life groups will do this together. And they will find a family that will not be able to have Christmas this year and provide presents and toys for kids and say, we quietly want to provide Christmas for needy families. I've watched people. I've watched life groups sit in the ER, sit in the hospital, sit in waiting rooms, sit in hospice because of love and ministry of people that they serve with and go to church with. I've watched people, I've watched entire life groups attend a funeral of someone they do not know because someone in their life group had lost a loved one and they're there to support their life group person. I've watched people in this church sacrifice time, talent, and treasures, and resources just out of obedience to what he has called us to do. I have watched people in this church faithfully serve the homeless, faithfully serve the orphans, safely, uh, uh, obediently serve people, the marginalized of society, and give up priorities of their life and their time because of a desire just to minister. I've watched people in this church serve as ushers and greeters, ministry partners, life group leaders, Bible study leaders, children ministry partners, student ministry partners. I've watched people go on mission trips halfway around the world and give up unbelievable vacation time and give up unbelievable financial resources to minister to people they, they never, may never meet or see again. Some of the best people that I know are in the local church. And when people say to me in the community, when people say to me that there are just hypocrites in the church, I think of all these people, I think of you who are genuine. I think of the elders here that are serving. I think of people here that are serving and living out what God has called them to live. I, I, I think of the people that have adopted, adopted babies that have been abandoned, ab adopted babies of different races, adopted babies with, with addictions and hang-ups and, and, and dysfunction and disabilities. I think of couples that just donate their time to serve together. I watch married couples week in, week out, serve here and serve this community. I know of a lady in our church who has had multiple surgeries and she continues to serve. What would I miss most about the church? The casual and the deep relationships that I have within this church. It'd be like when you're really, really hungry and you go to a restaurant and just eat a salad. You know something's not right. 
you know you're missing something. I love the local church. The last thing is this. I love the local church because of its positive influence. I love the local church because of its positive influence. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this truth, the truth that I am the Messiah. And I'm going to use imperfect people like Simon Peter. And he says, oh, in the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, I love the durability of the local church. Over 2,000 years, governments and dictators and, 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 uh, and, and movements have tried to destroy the local church. And yet the local church still stands. And when Jesus Christ said the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not stop it, it's not the picture of the church in this defensive mode. It is, it is fact is, it's the opposite. It's the, church, it's the picture of the church being aggressive, the church being on the offense. In other words, the gates were, were defensive. And so the only gates that I could think of, that, that I could tell you about, that we could all identify with, are the gates to the White House. Now, I'm not saying that the gates to the White House are the gates to hell, okay? It's just, it's just an analogy. It is, don't email me. It's just an analogy. But after this service, if I go to the Internet and I post on the Internet and I say that, the, that I'm going to go to the White House and the White House gates will not overcome me, yeah, I, I will get a visit from a Secret Service agent, right? Someone will come visit me because you know what I've just said? I've just said I'm going in regardless. I'm going to overcome the gates. I'm going in regardless if I have access, regardless if I have authority or not. See, the church, what Jesus said, the church, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not stop it, what he was talking about is the church going on the offense. In other words, the church was, was moving when Jesus commissioned the disciples and he said, go into the world. Um, and, and, and proclaimed the Messiah that he, he died on the, for your sins and he rose from the dead and he's given us the power to have life and life after death that we're to continue to move. Fact is, this happened in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. The government, there, there was a government gate. There's all kinds of gates. There's the gates of, of racism. There's the gates of government. There's, a, there's the gates of, there, there's all kinds of gates. Verse 27, and when they had, they had brought them, they sent them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so, as, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They're religious people. They're religious gates, right? And so they're religious people. They were angry. And so they constructed this gate to try to stop them. But they said, they said, you cannot cross this line. Never talk about Jesus again. And these disciples said, we must obey God rather than man. Historians believe that after five years of the church was birthed, there was over 100,000 believers in Jerusalem. The Roman world had its gates. 
Caesar said that we're a multicultural society and we believe that there are many ways to, to God. And yet you Christians keep going around and you can't keep going around saying that Jesus is the true God and Jesus is the only way. And, it, and as a result of that, Nero began to persecute the Christians and he tied them to the cross and he would burn them and he would torture them. He would feed them to wild animals for, 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 uh, for entertainment. Yet what is said, the blood of the martyrs became the seed for the church. By 350 A.D., Christianity was the state religion of the Roman Empire. The United States was originally founded with no gates, no religious boundaries, freedom from religion. And, and this nation was not a theocracy, but it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. President John Adams, our second president, said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Just think about the influence of the church back when America had no gates to stop it. 100, 106 of the first 108 colleges were founded by, by the church. Harvard and Yale were founded by the church. All the hospitals and nursing was started by the church. They funded inner city missions and food pantries and, and shelters and orphanages and, 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 and shelters for the elders and they, they, uh, elderly. And they cut, conducted services in prisons and they had pre crisis pregnancy centers that taught moral values. But in spite of the positive influence in this nation, there are some influential politicians saying that we are not a Christian nation and there must be stricter boundaries. And those in authority are telling us, don't bring your Ten Commandments in here. Don't read Scripture in here. Don't speak in Jesus' name. Don't say Merry Christmas. And we need more and more churches that will rise up. And we need more and more Christians that say we must obey God rather than men. And so you just think, so you just think of the positive influence of, of the church. There's a book, How Christianity Changed the World, that is staggering just to look at. And we don't even have time just to go through all of the achievements of the church, but think of the influence of Fellowship of the Rockies over these past 21 years. Our community talks about the influence of this church in feeding the homeless, clothing the poor. Some of the things that we do within this community, and there's over, listen, there's over 2,000 people that will go to heaven because of this church in our history. I don't even know how you count the number of people who have come back to God because of this church. And as we look to the future, let's remember how powerful the hand of God has blessed us in the past. And our primary task is to save and, and seek the lost. But how do you measure how many lives that have been put back together because of this church? How many marriages have been put back together? How many children have been sponsored and adopted? And how many missions Without this church, there would be no Christmas and Easter-wide community service for our community to where anybody can come, just as you are, however you're dressed, without any fear of guilt or judgment. And I know God could have raised up any other churches in this city to do that. But the fact is, he's used this church. And frankly, I don't see these things happening at a Starbucks. And I don't think the community and I don't think many of you know all that we do. Just this last weekend, yesterday, as a matter of fact, we dealt with a crisis that may never be made known public.
And maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus said we're to be the salt. We're to be the salt of the, of the earth. And you don't get up from the table and say that salt was great. No, real, no one really knows. It just does its job. But that's the job of the church. And when somebody looks back at Fellowship of the Rockies 60 years from now, what are they going to say about the influence of the church? It's nothing like the church. So Fellowship of the Rockies do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up.